Hi, everybody. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, and this is a Prophecy Today pre-Christmas special edition. Let me write at the very front, wish you and your family a very blessed Merry Christmas. It's good to have you along. We're going to focus with our broadcast partners on a special edition of pre-Christmas Prophecy Today and ask them to give us their most interesting Christmas. This will be fun. We're going to go, of course, to David Dolan. It's going to be a silent Christmas, a silent night in the little town of Bethlehem. But David will give us his report about his very first Christmas there in the land of the Bible. And then Don DeYoung is going to give us insight into the Bethlehem star, the star of Bethlehem. And David James and I will talk about Christmas traditions that may contradict God's Word. You want to stay tuned for the entire broadcast. So glad to have you along. We're going to go first to Ken Timmerman. He's the man who covers geopolitical events for us around the world, events that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I've got to ask you, Ken, give us an update, if you can, on the cyber attacks on the United States, an unbelievable thing that has happened. Well, Jimmy, we've just been learning about that in the past couple of days. Uh, There was a dramatic announcement by CISA, which is the Cybersecurity Intelligence Agency of the Department of Homeland Security. They pulled earlier this week all products by a company named SolarWind, Solar Winds is a company that makes cybersecurity software, and apparently they serviced most agencies, especially security agencies of the U.S. government. So we learned that the Pentagon was hacked with this software, that the Department of Homeland Security was infiltrated with the software. We learned that the Department of Energy was infiltrated, possibly even the nuclear agency of the Department of Energy. Now, they said later that they had managed to isolate this particular software. Right cutting to the chase, what this means is a foreign actor, they believe it was Russia so far, a foreign actor was able to quietly, over a period of many months, stealthily, without being detected, infiltrate the U.S. government, U.S. government agencies, sensitive agencies, and implant malware that would allow them to extract information that they would choose. That is the key here, is that they were extracting or, or, or exfiltrating, if you wish, the technical term, information from U.S. databases in these security agencies. The one thing we don't know yet, and they haven't said, is did they manage to get into classified databases? Uh, I expect we're going to learn more about this in the weeks to come. And we will stay on top of this story with Ken Timmerman on next week's broadcast. Well, let's focus now on the Middle East, Iran threatening a fiery response after the U.S. nuclear bombers flew over the Persian Gulf. Now, we talked about that last week, but uh, the response coming out of Iran, pretty threatening. Well, uh, you know, good luck on that. They trotted out the head of their air defense forces at the Hotel Malambia uh, Air Defense Base, who said they would shoot down any aircraft that flew over Iranian airspace. Well, you know, the the, uh, Americans do not need to fly over Iranian airspace to be able to get the message across. And this was a message of deterrence, right? That's what we talked about last week. The B-52s flying a big circle around Qatar and going up and down the Persian Gulf 
just off the coast of Iran. i got to tell you, Jimmy, and this kind of ties into the Christmas story I'll tell you later on. I was in the Persian Gulf uh, a number of years ago on the USS George Washington and watched as F-14 fighters flew off of the deck and skirted the borders of Iran. And you would see Iranian F-14s approaching the Persian Gulf to potentially intercept the U.S. fighters. And once they got up to Iran's land border, they would do a very abrupt U-turn. So the Iranians know not to mess with our fighters. They didn't do it then, all those years ago. It was in 1996 when I was there, and they're not going to do it today. Probably bravado from the Iranian leaders. We'll see. How about this? Is this bravado as well? The Iranian president making the statement, no doubt, that Joe Biden, when he becomes president, if indeed he does, will bow to Iranian demands to lift sanctions. What about that? Well, the, the way it's expressed, of course, is, you know, typical Iranian bluster. However, a substance, he's right. The Biden team has already acknowledged that they are going to return to the Iran deal, which means lifting U.S. sanctions. They've said this publicly. Uh, Tony Blinken, who is supposed to be Biden's designee for Secretary of State, and Jake Sullivan, the designee for National Security Advisor, they were both key players in negotiating this bad Iran deal to begin with. So uh, Rouhani is correct to believe that a Biden administration will lift sanctions and return to the deal. Now, here's the other interesting thing that Rouhani said. He said that Biden knows that Iran believes that keeping its ballistic missile force is critical, is key to its security, and therefore the United States under Biden would not even dare to demand that Iran get rid of its long-range missiles, something the Trump team has been doing. Now, what I find interesting about that statement is that he said Biden knows. It suggests to me, and I've heard, you know, there, there have been rumors of this around, that there have been contacts between the Biden national security advisors during the campaign with the Iranian government. Now, uh, remember, if you go back to December of 2016, what was General Michael Flynn, who was the incoming national security advisor for Donald Trump, what was he accused of? not just by Democrats, but the FBI as well, and that was having contacts with the Russian ambassador to the United States. By the way, something he was supposed to do as the incoming national security advisor. But they prosecuted him for that. They, they launched criminal prosecution against General Michael Flynn for doing that. Uh, I haven't heard any suggestion that the FBI should launch criminal prosecution against the Biden team. And the Biden team has already been reaching out to other countries and doing it quite publicly. So, number one, there's a suggestion here that there may have been contacts between Biden's national security advisors and senior officials in the government of Iran. And number two, there is clearly a double standard in Washington on whether that type of contact before you're in power is legitimate or not. Total hypocrisy. That's what you could term it as. And I'm imagining it's going to continue on. Well, one more comment about Iran's plan. Uh, They are saying they want to topple the Arab leaders, especially those who are normalizing relations with Israel. What do we know? This is what they've been saying, and their latest threat has been made directly to the government of Morocco, which just this past week 
signed a peace agreement with Israel under the Abraham Accords negotiated by President Trump. Uh, oh, just one thing that he did in a week while under attack <laughs> across the country by the media, uh, the communications directorate of the DNC, and, and by just about everybody else in this country over the election. So they're attacking the Moroccan government. Hamas is attacking the Moroccan government at the instigation of Iran, and Turkey is as well. What I uh, would be looking for here in the next couple of weeks to months, Jimmy, is whether the Iranians and the Turks work together to undermine the regimes that have signed on to the Abraham Accords. That, to me, would be a real serious development uh, and something that I think we should be keeping our eyes on because both of these regimes, Iran and Turkey, are anti-Israel, dedicated to eradicating Israel and to subverting these peace agreements between Israel and its Arab neighbors. Yes, and along that line, very interesting pronouncement coming out of the Turkish media this week. They're vowing to take over Tel Aviv, and they're going to call the opposition terrorist. Then they want to liberate the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Give us an update. Well, that's right. And again, these are the kind of statements that Erdogan, the president of Turkey, has been making regularly. Nobody seems to protest this any longer, not in the United States, not even in Europe. Even the Israelis have become a little bit inured to it. They've become used to this uh, saber-rattling by Erdogan. But again, uh, to me, the big thing is going to be whether Erdogan joins forces with the Iranians and whether the two of them together launch their terrorist proxies. Now, remember, Erdogan has Sunni Muslim terrorist proxies. The Iranians have Sunni and Shia terrorist proxies. So that, to me, is the uh, thing that I'm going to be watching. Okay, now, Ken, let's get to your Christmas story. You got me all excited when you gave us the little teaser there at the beginning. What about your Christmas, the most interesting one? Well, you know, Jimmy, I, I think I've said on this program in years past that I, I like to be home for Christmas because, you know, my wife and I were raising five children, and it was important to be there with our family for Christmas. But there was one Christmas uh, back in 1996 when I was in the Persian Gulf. There was talk of war with Saddam Hussein at that point during the Clinton administration. And I've had the opportunity to be on the USS George Washington to spend the night in the quarters beneath the flight deck and to listen to the thump of those aircraft taking off in the very, very early morning hours to launch bombing strikes over Iraq. I managed to get back to Kuwait, and then from Kuwait to Paris, France, just on Christmas Eve, I believe it was, where my wife, Christina, and our children joined me. They flew over to Paris, and I, we spent uh, a Christmas in a rented apartment in Paris and then drove down to go skiing in the Alps. It was, you know, from Kuwait to Paris and then down to the Alps, and again, all my family flying over from Washington, D.C., so it was quite a lot of miles that we logged in that Christmas. I would have to tell you, Ken, I do not think any of our broadcast partners are going to be able to top that story. <laughs> That's an exciting story, hearing the thump of those aircraft on that aircraft carrier. Well, thank you, Ken. You and your family, please have a blessed Christmas, and we'll look forward to our program and conversation next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. We look forward to it, and uh, Merry Christmas to you all as well. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's going to tell us about his first Christmas in Bethlehem. What an appropriate place to be for Christmas. That's all ahead right here 
on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. By the way, when you're at my website, go to my Prophecy Bookstore, a special deal for Christmas from Prophecy Today. We have the Prophetic Book Essential 3-Pack. Now that is great because these three books are essential for your understanding of Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. Those are the three books. I have commentaries written on all three of these, the most important books in the Bible prophetically because all other prophetic passages of Scripture dovetail into these three books. Each one addresses God's plan for a different strand of the human family. Daniel for the Gentiles, Ezekiel for the Jews, and Revelation for the Christians. In this special offer, you will receive my studies of these three special books, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, Daniel, a prophet to the Gentiles, Ezekiel, the man and the message, and Revelation, a chronology. Normal price, $45. We're going to give it to you for only $30. Let me remind you to buy right now. And by the way, when you're thinking about it, please prayerfully consider making us a part of your end-of-the-year giving. Those who partner with us keep the ministry of Prophecy Today moving forward. To donate your tax-deductible gift, please visit prophecytoday.com forward slash partners or call us at 8prophecy8, that's 877-674-3298. And thank you very much. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central for this Prophecy Today pre-Christmas special edition. We've been asking and will ask all of our broadcast partners to give us the details about their most interesting Christmas. I think that's going to be kind of fun. We can think about it, compare notes, and get excited about the Christmas season. I want to ask David Dolan, who's the man covering the Middle East with his Middle East News update, to come now. And instead of waiting to the end of the conversation, David, you've lived there so many years in Jerusalem, and you know what it is like at Christmas time in the Middle East. I would love for you to share with us what your favorite thoughts are about Christmas, which I believe is going to be pretty much of a silent night in the little town of Bethlehem this year. What are your thoughts about Christmas? Well, Jimmy, my first Christmas was exactly 40 years ago, December of 1980. I just arrived in Israel a few weeks before, and that probably remains my most pleasant Christmas. I was in Bethlehem, as you know, many, many years, covering uh, Christmas celebrations uh, for, uh, well, CBN and Moody Radio, and then CBS network, but I was working every time I was doing that. I enjoyed it, but I was working and getting interviews and hustling and bustling around. But the very first one, 40 years ago, I went with some friends from the kibbutz I was living on, the settlement in northern Israel, to Jerusalem, and we just had a private, quiet uh, Christmas. We stayed in a youth hostel there, 
and uh, went out to Bethlehem, and we went out to Shepherd's Field and sang some carols. And, you know, I was just a tourist, just a pilgrim that year, not working, and I really, really was blessed by that. And the reality that I was right there, the very a town, the very area where our Lord and Savior was born nearly 2,000 years ago was just a fantastic time, and I will never forget that, even though I was back in Bethlehem many other times. I've talked about when Yasser Arafat's car almost ran me over, and some other things that were a little more dramatic and more newsy, but that was just a worshipful time, and, and I was very blessed by it. My wife Judy and I have done something very similar to that, and it is a blessed time to be there in the little town of Bethlehem at the Christmas season, especially on Christmas Day itself. Thanks for sharing that with us, David. It brings back great memories of that place, a unique place in all of the world. Well, let's get to the hard news now. Thank you for that insight into your Christmas, your very first one. But what about Prime Minister Netanyahu? I understand he is going to Egypt. We talked about that, but it's going to be an official visit. What is this all about? Well, again, he's wanting to uh, cement the ties with Egypt after a decade of difficulties. It was just, in, in fact, 10 years ago that the Arab Spring began in Tunisia. Uh, this week, in fact, is when that began. And that spread over to Egypt, and of course there were riots and trouble in the streets, and then the Muslim Brotherhood came to power, Mohammed Morsi, and he was talking about breaking the peace treaty with Israel entirely. And, you know, nothing replaces that treaty as wonderful as the others have been, and we're now hearing maybe Pakistan will get on board the peace train. But uh, that's the biggest Arab country, Egypt, the cultural leader of the Arab world. Most of the Arabic television programming and movies come from there. So to have that peace with Egypt was and is very, very crucial and important to Israel. And, of course, Egypt has a military force that's pretty substantial. So if they went back to the enemies list, that would be a major uh, setback for the Jewish state. So... He's going to try to cement those ties and to just reiterate that there is a peace between the two and uh, that tourism is there and uh, economic ties. There's also, of course, natural gas that Israel is going to be exporting from the Mediterranean, is exporting. So all of that part of it, it's business, but it's mainly just to reiterate those ties in a very concrete way by having the Israeli leader uh, in Cairo. Egypt and Israel, very important peace partners in the day in which we're living. However, we've read the last chapter. We know how that is all going to end up. Again, more on that when we come to our look at the book at the end of this broadcast. And meanwhile, the Palestinian Authority making the statement that all Israel is Palestine and all Israelis are settlers. I don't think that's historically correct, is it? Not quite. <laughs> no, the Palestinians, a lot of them can trace their ancestry to Egypt and to Syria and to the Arabian Peninsula and to Jordan and Lebanon and other Arab countries around. And that was basically, as the historians have documented, that when the Jews started to come back to the land in the 1860s and 70s and 80s, and that grew into a stream of Jews returning, that turned into a river in the 1920s and 30s, and then, of course, the Jewish state was created in 1948. 
Well, there was work, there was prosperity, there was a road building and town building and a lot of stuff going on. And a lot of the Palestinians really can't trace their ancestry back to more than the mid-1800s or so. That's when their, their grandfathers, great-grandfathers and mothers started coming for work because all of the Arab countries around, part of the Turkish Empire in those days, were in pretty poor economic shape. And here was this one little area that the West called Palestine, that the Bible calls the Holy Land, that there was work and there was prosperity, and so that attracted people, and then they stayed. The Palestinian Christians are more likely to have long roots in the land. Most of them can trace their ancestry back hundreds of thousands of years, but most of the Arab Palestinians, or a good portion of them, Really, it was only the past 100, 150 years. So who's the settler? Well, you know, again, it was promised by God to Abraham and his descendants forever. He said, Ishmael will be a great uh, people, too. We'll have uh, 12 nations. But this land, this promised land, is promised to you, Abraham, through Isaac and Jacob, to the Jewish matriarchs and patriarchs and uh, their ancestors. They were kicked out of the land. Uh, by the Romans, basically, and the Lord warned that would happen, that the return continues, and uh, they're not settlers, they're returning to the ancient Jewish biblical homeland. David, as a journalist, you have served over 30 years in the Middle East, reporting for many different organizations, Today Prophecy, Today Radio, and we're so thrilled to have you along. But uh, I'm sure you've covered Hamas over these many years, It was their 33rd anniversary this week. They still are vowing to free Palestine. I don't think that's going to happen, but they're going to keep the effort up, aren't they? Well, they are, Jimmy, and I think you'll remember that I was the first Western journalist to really focus on the then nascent uh, Hamas movement in the late 1980s in my first book that was published in 1991, And I gave seven pages to them in my book, Holy War for the Promised Land. And I was criticized by Tom Friedman at the New York Times and Bob Simon, who was a colleague at CBS and others, for focusing so much time on it. They said that's a little rat trap group that isn't going to amount to anything, and they're extremists, and, you know, you're giving them too much attention. But I felt that they were going to become more and more powerful as the years went on, precisely because they were fairly accurately quoting their holy book, the Quran, and uh, calling for jihad and calling for the elimination of the Jewish state entirely, because the Quran makes clear that Muslims will rule over other peoples, not other peoples over Muslims, and certainly not the Jews that the Quran makes clear have been bypassed by the Almighty and are no longer of the chosen people, it's Arab Muslims that are the chosen people. So having those core beliefs that are very popular, and they have, they appeal to the nationalism in the Arabs as well, and the Palestinians as well, and uh, indeed they went on to become a major force. They now control a piece of land, have done for some years now, the Gaza Strip, and we're, we know they have rockets and they have military forces, and forced Israel to build the Iron Dome system, which, by the way, was tested this week with the David Sling air defense system, coordinated tests, very successful tests, but forced Israel to really beef up their defenses because this radical group is not only there as a sideline, but is there with a little government. And uh, until they are no longer ruling 
in the Gaza Strip and are no longer a major force in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank and Jerusalem, we're never going to see a solution to the uh, Palestinian-Israeli conflict because their solution is Israel's complete annihilation, as you just said, and that certainly is nothing the Israelis will ever agree to. They will fight to make that not happen, in fact. David Dolan, our broadcast partner, is the first one to recognize the threat of Hamas, an Islamic terror organization. That's why we are so thrilled to have David give us his Middle East news update on a weekly basis right here on Prophecy Today. David, thank you so very much. Have a blessed Merry Christmas, my good friend, and we'll talk again next week. A blessed Christmas to you as well, Jimmy, and all your listeners and family. God bless. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a quick break. Sharam Hadian, he was born in Iran. We'll talk about Christmas in Iran with Sharam, but the Muslims in the political arena today here in America. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So glad you could stay with us for the second half hour. We need three half hours in order to be able to get all of our broadcast partners to the broadcast table to give their unique reports on what is happening around this world. And by the way, at the end of this half hour... I'll be talking with Dr. Don DeYoung. Remember, he's an astronomer, and we're going to be talking about the star of Bethlehem. There is going to be an interesting connection between two planets on Monday. We'll find out, does that qualify to be the star of Bethlehem or not? We'll be talking with Don DeYoung just a bit later in this half hour. Right now, though, we're going to Sharam Hadian. He is becoming a broadcast partner with us right here on Prophecy Today. And he focuses on the Islamic world. He has got a ministry that endeavors to try to win Muslims to Jesus Christ. But also that ministry includes the opportunity to share with churches the dangers of the Islamic faith in not only the world, but the United States as well. Uh, Sharam, as we get ready to have our conversation, give your website address to those listening in today so they can make contact with your ministry. Well, thank you, Dr. Dion, for having me. Uh, our email is info, I-N-F-O, at 
TILproject.com. The TIL stands for Truth in Love, and uh, the word project.com. And then, of course, our website is just TILproject.com. So, again, TIL for Truth in Love, project.com. And may I suggest everybody that you bookmark that website. It'll be a key website to keep you abreast of what is happening in the Islamic world. Sharam, I wanted to talk to you today because we're quickly approaching a time in the state of Georgia when there is going to be a Senate runoff. Two of the candidates in the Republican Party going against two candidates in the Democratic Party. And as you look at the overall political activities of this world, in particular in the United States, this is a key election time upcoming January the 5th. But I want to ask you about a Senate runoff votathon that took place just this last week. A couple of representatives from the United States House of Representatives, Representative Omar and Representative Talib, at this event hosted by the Hamas-linked Council on American-Islamic Relations, C-A-I-R, CARE. And I wanted to know what your thoughts about these people being those who would be the front of the face of what could be an election of two people that may be influenced by the Islamic world. What are your thoughts? Well, Dr. DeYoung, this is now the new face of the Democrat Party. These individuals have become the new face of the left. You have a red and green access working together because John Ossoff and Warnock, uh, these are avowed, uh, especially Warnock, these are avowed Marxists. These are socialists, really socialist Marxists. And that's the red side of this access, the communist, the Marxist, the socialist, and the globalist. And then the green side, is the Islamic movement and the Muslim Brotherhood. And so you mentioned CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, which is an unindicted, according to the largest terror financing trial in American history in Texas called, called the Holy Land Foundation, the U.S. government uh, versus the Holy Land Foundation. Dr. DeYoung, CARE was listed as an unindicted co-conspirator to Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, the same Hamas, that has terrorized Israel, the same Hamas that is terrorizing the Palestinians, uh, the Arabs in Gaza. And this Hamas, which, by the way, uh, the, the Muslim Brotherhood started Hamas in 1987, but then because it was listed as a terrorist organization by the U.S. government in 1993, they started CARE to become the fundraising arm of Hamas. CARE has always been Hamas. And so you have two... Congresswoman, as you mentioned, Omar and Rashida Taleb. So this is the face of the left now, the radical left that is uh, anti-Semitic, anti-Christian. And Rashida Taleb took credit for beating Trump. They're saying Muslims are the ones who pushed Biden over the top in Georgia, despite all of the massive evidence of voter fraud. And this is part of the movement of the Muslim Brotherhood of Care, if you speak at a care event, you're basically aligning yourself with terrorists, with jihadists. But now it's common practice because, let's not forget, Joe Biden did a webinar 
engaging these, these individuals, Linda Sarsour and Rashida Taleb and a group called M-Gage, Muslim Engage, which is trying to raise up a million Muslim voters. So this is what we've been warning about. This is what we've been saying, that Islam is getting closer and closer to going to the upper house in America because we are not paying attention, and worse, the church is not paying attention. Sharam, I just learned this week, and I wanted again to see what your thoughts were, that Joe Biden, during his campaigning, said that he wants Islam to be taught in American schools. I would ask you, is this going to be a dangerous thing to happen to our young children? Absolutely. We have, for years, we have already been fighting the disproportionate amount of time that Islam is focused on in public schools. We have identified textbooks that, that for example, there was a textbook, Dr. Young, it was called History Alive, and they had three pages uh, when they were teaching comparative religion, three pages on Christianity and Judaism. And all they said about Christianity basically was that Christians believe that Jesus uh, is uh, God and that, um, and, and that they talked about the Crusades. But then they devote seven chapters, seven chapters to Islam, and they teach that Muhammad is the prophet, not believe, could be, is the prophet of God. And so we've identified these biases. Now Joe Biden comes and says, you know, already it's not enough. We've already taken out Christianity and eradicated any kind of Judeo-Christian values and, and civics in, in our schools. Now he wants more of Islam. Uh, so what part of Islam is he good? By the way, he, he, he mimicked what Obama has said for years, right, that Islam is a religion of peace. Biden mimicked that in his speech that he gave where he told these Muslims, we want more of Islam in the schools. And so, yes, absolutely, this is going to be detrimental. Not just detrimental, but I predict, Dr. DeYoung, that you're going to see many young students convert to Islam because they are teaching prayers. They're actually in the curriculum teaching the Shahada. The Shahada, the first pillar of Islam, is the prayer that you cite to say that there is no God but Allah and His Messenger Muhammad. Dr. Young, if you earnestly say that prayer with all your heart, according to Islam, you have converted to becoming a Muslim. And they're teaching our kids these prayers in the public school. This is outrageous. Uh, any school that does this should be defunded. Uh, but this is what Biden is promising, that every Muslims are going to be in all levels of his administration, and we're going to bring more of Islam. And by the way, are they going to teach the true Islam? Are they going to teach a jihad? Are they going to teach hatred of Jews? Are they going to teach dehumanizing of women and how women are... No, they're not going to teach that. They're going to give a fake version of Islam, this so-called peaceful version that Obama spewed at us for eight years. So this is very dangerous. I wanted to have this conversation with you, Sharam, because this is key information. We need to get to the body of Christ, and through our broadcast, we're able to do that. So I so appreciate you making time to come to my broadcast table. Just before I let you go, though, this is a pre-Christmas program of Prophecy Today. So I wanted to ask you, I understand you left Iran with your family when you were about eight years old, born there in Iran. Was there anything like Christmas at that time when you left in Iran? Absolutely, Dr. Young. Iran was an amazing place, and, and under the Shah, there was a movement towards westernizing it. Many Iranian, many Muslims who were, you know, cultural, like my parents, 
uh, actually had Christmas trees. Uh, we would put up a Christmas tree. <laughs> and so they celebrated. Now, they probably were not celebrating what Christmas actually means in the, in the sense of, of, of the birth of Christ. But many of them had Christmas trees because that's what Westerners did, and they wanted to be so much like Westerners. And so there was a, there was a spirit of that. Of course, there were many Jews in Iran. There were Armenian Christians. Today, there are actually many Iranians who are, who are Muslims who have now converted to Christianity, the fastest-growing church in the world numerically, and now Iranians, uh, Persians, are actually celebrating the true meaning of Christmas, which is that they're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing, and it is a great report. We need, all of us need to pray for that growing Christian community in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Well, I would like to wish you and your family a blessed Christmas time and a wonderful new year. By the way, we're going to have you back on the last program in the year 2020. We'll talk about the year past and some of the things that you've been reporting to us. But until that time, have a very blessed Christmas, buddy. You too, Dr. DeYoung. Merry Christmas and, and, and a wonderful new year. Blessed Blessings to you guys and all of your listeners. May we truly worship the Lord fully this year. And can I say, no, no canceling Christmas. <laughs> I, I reject that in Jesus' name. Let's celebrate Christmas. Let's celebrate the birth of the Savior. And so Merry Christmas to all of you guys. Sharam Hadian giving us details about the Muslim activities in the political arena here in the United States of America. Well, we're going to go overseas now to the European continent and the European Union. The man covering that particular political operation is John Rood for us here on Prophecy Today. John, living in Brussels, Belgium for about 30 years, he knows really the European Union like the back of his hand. John, great to have you along, and before we conclude our conversation I want to ask you about your favorite Christmas story. What took place somewhere there, maybe in the European Union? We'll find out in a moment. But first, this headline coming out of Europe, European Union member states agreeing to set up the first European defense fund. That sounds like a move towards a European Union military, does it not? Uh, indeed. European Union has some very large funds around the world, but they focused on defense, and this is the first time this is done. European Defense Fund, uh, nearly $10 billion. And so this will be used for research and defense technologies. It's a big effort to get the countries working together in the military arena. And to be confirmed, I uh, haven't seen the sources but it's said that the president of France, Macron, wants a European army to share in the uh, United Nations Security Council. So, yes, it's a direction that's been going for some time. Very big step. Very big step. Of course, that would be part of the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire as well. We'll talk about that a bit later when I take a look at the book. Well, here's the statement, don't go to church, don't buy Christmas gifts. That's coming from the German government. They're in a pretty intense shutdown because of coronavirus, are they not? It's a total second lockdown in Germany. 
which is going to be from December 16 to roughly January 10th. And uh, as you mentioned, it's uh, something there, you know, basically going back to closing the shopping and encouraging people not to shop for Christmas. And so that's a big concern for the economics. And as well, even an appeal to the Christians to uh, not attend church services, but watch them online. So uh, there's concern. There's concern for the second wave, and Germany sort of leads the way in taking action, but they're willing to take an economic hit to deal with coronavirus. John, a very interesting statement coming out of Spain. The Spanish health minister making the statement that after coronavirus, the European Union will be very strong. You think that's going to be the case? Will they have to rebuild, or what are your thoughts? Well, what's happening here is the Spanish health minister is taking the opportunity to point that the European Union has made a coordinated effort uh, among the member nations. So several of the countries are administering the vaccination now. So uh, they want to use this as a victory for a common policy because so many other of the efforts towards a common uh, policy have failed. Strangely, it's looked at as a victory towards a stronger union because we have managed to administer the vaccine. John, give us an update on Brexit. In other words, we're talking about Great Britain pulling out of the European Union and the Prime Minister of Great Britain making this statement. It's in pretty serious condition. What's the deal? Uh, Brexit, you know, was official on January 31st of uh, this year. It took some time, but it really happened. Uh, In that agreement, there was time until the end of the year to negotiate a trade agreement Uh, That is in the works right now. It appears that there's more than a 50-50 chance that it will fail, and that would lead to a a no-deal Brexit along those lines. The contentious point remains to be the fishing uh, area, and so the EU is having control of the United Kingdom fishing to some great extent. Um, It's blocked everything up to now. It appears that... uh, the U.K. will probably uh, have a no deal, and so that would reinstall some of the border checks and taxes between the U.K. and the European Union. John, I know you travel all over the European Union. I have been in Europe to many of the states as well, a lot of times going into Hungary. And I was glad to see this statement coming out of Hungary. They have rejected the gender theory and they put that in a constitutional amendment. Others, I think, should follow suit. Can you give us the latest details? You know, Hungary these last years has propelled themselves identifying with their Christian culture and uh, also with their constitution. And so Hungary uh, sees this as a way to uh, uh, balance with the EU and make a distinction that they don't want to go with a lot of the EU common policies. Uh, Of course, there's nothing Christian at the top of the European Union officially, and so Hungary has taken the stand to make a constitutional amendment, even more so spelling out the definition of a family. The mother is a woman, the father is a man, and they're interested to protect people's rights, but they've come against making things clear by a national uh, constitutional amendment, and they're wanting to take a strong stand to uh, show their national role of Christianity. 
Well, I wish that movement would come towards America. We would love to have that here in the United States. Hey, got about a minute left, John. Talk to us about your most interesting Christmas there in the European Union. Oh, in Europe, of course, many fantastic Christmases, Belgium, France, Netherlands, uh, big family, and so forth. But interesting uh, plug I will put is for a very small town called Munchau, M-O-N-S. C-H-A-U, Munchau, Germany. It's just a two-hour drive from Brussels, just over the border. It's this—it's like a fairy tale city of Christmas, so just wonderful. Looks like Bavaria, but you don't have to drive uh, all that far. It's in a very narrow valley, and it's just absolutely beautiful, very deep valley. So anyone in the area, absolutely, especially Christmas time, Munchau, Germany. Absolutely beautiful Christmas market. Uh, you'll love it. Hey, I'm ready to book my flight. Who do I go see to book that flight? That was great. Very enticing. Hope that could be done soon. Yeah, that's great, John. Thank you so much. And thank you for the report. And may you and your blessed family have a wonderful, blessed Christmas as well. Yes, and Merry Christmas to all. God bless. Very important conversation with John Rood, his European Union update. It's key that you hear this report each and every week because we look at the political as it sets the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. I do believe that at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire is the European Union and all that they do, helping us to understand how Bible prophecy is coming into place. Well, right now I'm going to bring to my broadcast table a good friend, Dr. Don DeYoung. Dr. DeYoung has recently retired as the head of the science department at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. He is an astronomer, making him a scientist. He's an author. He travels and speaks. And in fact, I have in my hand right now Astronomy and the Bible. This was written by Don. And it is questions and answers about space, about astronomy. It's a great, great little manual. I do believe it would be a great Christmas gift, especially for maybe even your children, because Don deals with the questions as it relates to the stars and space and everything contained within that confound. And indeed, it is very, very interesting. It's entitled Astronomy and the Bible. And on page 53, uh, there is a answer to the question about the Star of Bethlehem. And that's exactly what I want to deal with as we bring Don to the broadcast table. Hey, Don, great to have you along. Great book you've written here, buddy. Hello, Jimmy. Glad to join you. Well, it is neat to be able to, at this time of the year, address, I do believe, what we addressed last year at about this time, the Star of Bethlehem. But before I get to that, interesting report coming out of a heavenly event on December the 21st. That's when Saturn and Jupiter will align and become a very bright light. Boy, an amazing event, a double planet light, I think they call it. It is an amazing event. It's going to happen on the 21st, isn't it? Well, these planets appear to uh, pass each other in the night sky. They do come close together on occasion, 
Actually, uh, Jimmy, uh, Jupiter and Saturn are very close together all through December, maybe the closest on the 21st, but for several weeks, there is that show in the sky. Hey, wonderful show if you want to go out and look up and see what is going on up there. I do know it's pretty rare. I understand that as the way it's going to unfold on the 21st of December this year uh, only happened about, well, March 4th. 1,226. That was about 800 years ago. Pretty rare situation, isn't it? Well, that is the last time they came this close together. However, Jimmy, every 20 years, Saturn and Jupiter appear to pass each other, and every time they do come rather close close together. About 800 years, so we better try to catch it on Monday afternoon, if at all possible. Well, let me ask then the big question. Is this what happened at the birth of Christ when they called it the Star of Bethlehem? Is this what it was? Well, you know, Jimmy, there are several ideas about what the star was that led the wise men. Some have suggested that it was a comet in the night sky. Some have said uh, maybe it was an exploding star, something we call a supernova. And then this latest suggestion that w- that it was a gathering of, of planets which does become unusual in in the sky. However, Jimmy, I would uh, say that each one of these natural explanations falls short of, of this story in the book of Matthew. For example, when the planets come close together, there are still multiple lights. The wise men were following a single light in the sky, a single star. And I think also from Matthew 2, if you read carefully... The wise men were the only ones who saw this light. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Herod asked them, you know, the time when they saw this. If it had been a comet or a gathering of planets, it would have been in the news, and everyone everyone would have seen it. So more and more, it looks like this um, Star of Bethlehem was a very special light. And maybe a third reason for its uniqueness, after the wise men are in Jerusalem, It says that the star leads them to Bethlehem and stands over the house where the Lord is. Well, all these natural objects, planets, comets, supernova, they all move across the sky from east to west. However, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is from north to south, a very unusual movement. From all that, Jimmy, I would conclude that the star of Bethlehem was a supernatural light and beyond our explanation. Yes, bottom line, the star of Bethlehem, not a normal star that we can look up and see in the sky at this time in history. You know, the Bethlehem star was foretold in the Bible in addition to the passage there in Matthew. Does not Numbers twenty four seventeen talk about a star coming out of Jacob and one who will rule the world? It does. And I'm sure that the uh, wise men or the magi were aware of this, and it might have um, helped them to understand the sign that they were seeing. God could also have spoken to them in in dreams at that time. But again, it was a temporary light that the Lord uh, led them by. I don't know whether it was an angel with a light. You know, the more we think about it, um, God often used lights to direct people or to show signs. You can think of the pillar of fire that led the Israelites the bright light that caught uh, the Apostle Paul's attention. You know, God is a God of light, 
and the Bethlehem Star is just another uh, wonderful uh, um, show of this. I just love to be able to talk with you, Don, especially any time of the year, but uh, right now at Christmas time when we think about the Star of Bethlehem, it's just a joy to be able to interact with you. However, because of your book, Astronomy and the Bible, you have got me hooked on looking into the heavens. I walk each and every night. And I have to say, Psalm 19 was absolutely correct. Any and all stars display the glory of the Lord, don't they, Don? Well, it certainly does, Jimmy. By by the way, this show of the planets uh, next week around December 21st, kind of a challenge to see low in the southwest after the sun goes down. And then they go down as well. But for about 30 minutes, you can see these bright planets. I'm sure you're going to be out there looking up into the sky. I will as well. Don, thank you so very much for coming and having a conversation with me today, especially about the Star of Bethlehem. And let me take this opportunity right now to wish you and your precious family a blessed Christmas time and a wonderful New Year as well. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you, Jimmy. Same to you and our friends. What a great conversation that I just had with Don DeYoung. I love the story and the record of the Star of Bethlehem. But are there misconceptions about the Christmas story? That's what I'll be talking with David James about. That's my last conversation. It's in the next half hour. You're listening to Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. Welcome back to our last half hour of the 90 minutes I requested at the beginning of the program. So glad to have you on this special edition of Prophecy Today Pre-Christmas Special Edition. In a moment, David James and I will have a conversation about some of the misconceptions that we have about the Christmas account. That's upcoming in a moment. My poll question on the left-hand column of my home page, scroll down, you'll find it. Here's the question. Do you believe all of the prophetic and historic passages in God's Word are absolute and thus prove that Jesus Christ, at his first coming some 2,000 years ago, proved that he is the Son of God and the Savior of the world? That's the poll question. Be sure to answer that question after the broadcast today. And as you are at my website answering that poll question, make sure that you go to the Prophecy Bookstore. If you'll do that today, you'll have an opportunity to do one-stop Christmas shopping at my Prophecy Bookstore at prophecytoday.com. That's the place where you can get a gift for a loved one, a family member, that will really give meaning to the purpose and the reason for this season. Go to my Prophecy Bookstore. Many items, we've discounted them. You'll see the specials that we have at the Prophecy Bookstore. And again, if you will, consider and prayerfully consider how you may assist our ministry of going into 2021. If you could make an end-of-the-year donation, 
It would be so appreciated. We would just love to be able to serve you as the supporter of Prophecy Today as we continue to tell every single one about the soon coming of Jesus Christ and that we should be living prepared, pure, and productive as we enter into the new year. Whatever you can send into the year donation, we thank you so very much. We now bring to these microphones David James. Always an enjoyable time for me to have a conversation with David. David and I get together. We pick out an issue that would be very important for the body of Christ to have a biblical perspective on, and then we come to the broadcast table and have that conversation. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to be thinking through misconceptions surrounding the Christmas account. This program, a very special program, Prophecy Today, pre-Christmas special edition. We've been having our broadcast partners give us their favorite Christmas stories from the region they're covering or from some location they've traveled during their covering of world events that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. So the conversation with David today, very appropriate for this pre-Christmas program. David, this week we received an email from someone who recently heard me speak at his church there in Columbia, South Carolina, but he was not able to stay for the prophecy Q&A time. So I thought that we could take a few moments to answer some of his questions here on the broadcast. Well, I don't want to steal your thunder, Jimmy. I never want to do that. But they were addressed to you, as you say, because he missed that Q&A at Grace Baptist. And he wrote this, what two tribes are not included in the 144,000 sealed in Revelation 7 and why? And finally, who is being addressed in Isaiah 9-6? So the unlisted tribes are Dan and Ephraim. Manasseh seems to replace Dan, and Joseph is listed in the place of his son Ephraim. And so while there are different theories, Uh, We don't know for sure why Dan isn't included, but Dan is mentioned in Ezekiel as being in the land during the Millennial Kingdom. And concerning Isaiah 9-6, which says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So there Isaiah is encouraging Israel concerning their Messiah, and some wonder about the reference to Everlasting Father, but I take that to be the Son's function as the Creator and not about His role within the Trinity. David, I will have to give you an A+. Well, as we're into the last week now before Christmas, I thought it would be great for us to discuss various aspects of the Christmas story, or better, the Christmas account. That would include some things that popular culture today tends to get wrong. Talk to us about that, David. Well, first, Jimmy, at this point, I want to personally wish the Lord's greatest blessing upon our listeners as we go into the last week before Christmas when we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and thank them for being with us all this year. And there are so many things I personally love about Christmas, and I look forward to this season every year. And since Christmas as a holiday season has become so influenced by the materialism and even hedonism of the world and whatever is in pop culture of the day, 
it's easy for our thinking as believers to be wrongly influenced about the events surrounding the birth of Christ so that they don't really reflect what the Bible actually teaches. So I think this is a good conversation to have. And David, I would echo those best wishes for a merry, blessed Christmas for all of our listeners as well. As you well know, David, one of the first questions that we run into is the time of the year for the birth of Christ. Was it in December, around the traditional time, or was it in the fall or the spring, as some would say? There's a lot of confusion out there with conflicting information. But David, does it really matter? Well, let me deal with that last question first. We might say it doesn't matter so much because the important thing is that God came into the world as Savior. But at another level, I think it is important because we often need to dig into the details of many things in the Bible to understand them correctly. So let's think about the historical context. Some say Jesus couldn't have been born in the winter because shepherds wouldn't have been in the fields and lambs are born in the spring. But that doesn't take into account that it could have been a mild winter, for one thing. And apart from that, Bethlehem's average high temperature in December is 57 degrees. So it's not like it is in upstate New York, and, and lambs actually can be born year-round. And more importantly, Jimmy, is that these were priestly shepherds, because those lambs in Bethlehem, those were for sacrifices at the temple, and sacrificial lambs were to be one year old. So with daily sacrifices, no matter what was being done by shepherds and the rest of Israel, there needed to be a year-round supply of one-year-old sacrificial lambs from Bethlehem. And another biblical factor concerns John the Baptist, who was born about six months before Jesus, and he was conceived right after his father, Zacharias, had served his time at the temple as part of the priestly division of Abijah. And when this took place is debated, but one very detailed calculation I saw puts it in October. So six months plus nine months puts the birth of Jesus in December. Very good mathematics there. I appreciate that. David, how do you respond then to the claim that the December date for Christmas actually came because of the Roman Catholic Church Christianizing a pagan Roman holiday connected with the winter solstice? Well, the first thing to consider is that Satan sometimes introduces a false version ahead of what God brings to pass in history. So, for example, the idea of a virgin giving birth to a god is common in ancient Near Eastern and Egyptian religions. Well, Isaiah prophesied the virgin birth of the Messiah some seven centuries before it happened, and I think Satan may have inspired a pagan view in false religions to cause confusion. And even if there was the concept of the Roman sun god being reborn at the winter solstice, that has no bearing at all on whether Jesus was born around the same time. In fact, it shouldn't surprise us at all, given Satan's tactics. And when it comes to December 25th for the birth of Christ, it's not at all certain that it was introduced by the Roman Catholic Church, as Christianity didn't even become the official religion of the Roman Empire until around 380 A.D., while Clement of Alexandria put the birth of Christ in December as early as the end of the 2nd century. And also in the 2nd century, Irenaeus put the announcement of Christ's birth in 
in March, which puts his birth in December, and that's a view that's also held by Hippolytus of Rome at the beginning of the 3rd century. And one source I read suggested that the establishment of the pagan victory of the sun holiday at the winter solstice was possibly a response to the already established Christian observance. So there are many conflicting explanations, but I personally don't think it's an issue. David, earlier in the broadcast, I was speaking with a broadcast partner, Don DeYoung, about the Star of Bethlehem. I wanted to dig a bit deeper into the wise men from the east who had followed this star to Jerusalem, and then after meeting with Herod, they followed the star over to Bethlehem. Go in depth with me on that particular thought. Well, of course, the popular view is that there were three kings, and that's reinforced by the Christmas song, We Three Kings. And we read this in Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. In some Bibles, Jimmy, wise men is transliterated as magi or magicians in English, and they were astrologers and seers, likely from the area of Babylon or Persia, as the Greek word magos comes from the old Persian word, Magus, and their knowledge of a coming king would have been from the Hebrew scriptures, I think, dating back to the Babylonian captivity, because in Daniel chapter 2, we read that Nebuchadnezzar had made Daniel the chief administrator over the wise men of Babylon, and that they were kings may come from Isaiah 60, verse 3, which says, the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And verse 6 talks about gifts of golden incense. So perhaps these wise men or magi acted as emissaries. And the idea of three wise men comes from the three types of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but it could have been any number. And although we see them in nativity scenes, according to Matthew 2.11, they found Jesus in a house as a child, not as an infant. And after they left, Herod killed all the boys under two years old. So some time had passed before they arrived. David, you just mentioned nativity scenes, and sometimes they can be very deceiving when you look at them. Uh, That's another misconception that I, I want us to talk about. You know, normally you see Mary and Joseph found in a shelter or a barn or a cave or something like that, and that Jesus was laid there in a wooden manger. Uh, But talk to us about what a nativity scene really does not get right. Well, you know, Jimmy, maybe you and I should go into business and start making biblically accurate manger scenes. Uh, Anyway, I'm confident that Mary and Joseph found shelter in a place that was a very precise fulfillment of prophecy. In Micah 5, 2, we read this concerning the coming of the Messiah. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, uh, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forths are from uh, old, from everlasting. So God orchestrated events through a Roman census to get them to their ancestral home of Bethlehem. But then in Micah chapter 4, we read that the daughter of Zion will give birth to someone at the tower of the flock, the the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. And that tower of the flock is Mikdal Eder in Hebrew, and it's a watchtower for guarding sheep. And there would have been at least one of these towers in the shepherd's field between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. 
And in fact, a tower of the flock is mentioned in Genesis 35 as being near Bethlehem almost 2,000 years earlier. And in the base of these towers was a stone manger where the shepherds placed newborn lambs and wrapped them in cloths so they wouldn't be injured, because if they were, they couldn't be used for sacrifice. It's amazing. You know, I uh, really enjoy this opportunity today to try to clear up some of these misconceptions about Christmas. And, dear friend, I hope we didn't mess up what your thoughts are about Christmas. But I think it's key, and you mentioned earlier, I asked, what does it matter, and you got into that. I think it does matter that we go by what God's Word has to say about the first coming, the birth of Jesus Christ. It's specific. We need to be specific as well. And, David, you did that today for us. Thank you so very much. And get ready. We're going to meet again next week for the broadcast. We'll be talking about the year 2020 in review. So looking forward to seeing you at that time. And, by the way, a very blessed Christmas to you and your family as well, David. Well, thanks, Jimmy. To you and yours as well, we wish you a wonderful Christmas and look forward to next week. We're going to have to take a quick break, and right after the break, I will give you a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On this Prophecy Today pre-Christmas special edition, we had our broadcast partners come with their excellent reports, and they included their favorite Christmas happening in their lives over their past experience. 
I thought those were great stories, and I'm sure that you have some favorite Christmas stories as well. Before I forget now, let me wish you and your family a blessed Christmas. And do not forget, please, the real reason for the season, the celebration of the first coming of Jesus Christ. By the way, if you missed any of the reports from my broadcast partners, please go to prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can listen to them. You can do that for the second time, or maybe if you missed them for the first time. And be sure to tell a friend or a family member about those reports from our broadcast partners. Now I want to give you my prophetic perspective on the news reports from these broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman covers the geopolitical events in our world. We talked about the cyber attacks here on America in the last couple of days. Let me remind you, America is under attack, and these recent cyber attacks may well be the first phase of the ultimate attack to try to destroy the United States. Remember, America is not mentioned in the prophetic passages of the Bible. What Ken reported may well be the first volley of that war to destroy America. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update. We focused on the 33rd anniversary of Hamas. Hamas is one of the major terrorist organizations in our world today. They have vowed to destroy Israel, the Jewish state, and replace it with the Palestinian state called Palestine. That's Ezekiel chapter 35, verses 5 and 10, and Malachi chapter 1. Those prophecies have their stage set to be fulfilled in the very near future. Sharam Hadian and I had our conversation focusing on Muslims totally involved in the American political arena. Let me remind you that the eschatology of the Islamic world is to set up a worldwide kingdom. They call it a caliphate. And in order to do that, the Muslims must overthrow each nation's government. That can be done very easily when you have Muslims involved in those governments. That is what will happen and is in the process of taking place today. John Rood covers the European Union for us. Very interesting information coming from John. The European member states are making ready for a military operation in the European Union. You know, as we watch the political activities of the EU we see the stage being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. As the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, the European Union must have its own military operation. The European Union today moving in that direction. Dr. Don DeYoung, who is an astronomer, talked to us about the star of Bethlehem. I thought it was very important to hear from Don that that star, the one of Bethlehem, was a special star. 
not an ordinary star. It was a star used by God to bring the wise men to the newborn babe in the area of the shepherd's fields in Bethlehem. And by the way, just let me remind you, as you look up into the heavenlies and see all the stars up there, each and every one of them a perfect example of the glory of the Lord. That's found in Psalm chapter 19. David James and I have a weekly conversation, and this week we focused on misconceptions about the traditional Christmas story. Now, this was a key conversation, I do believe. It is always important to look at and believe the specific details on all events in prophecy, especially the first coming of Jesus Christ. They tell me that there are five times as many prophecies on the second coming of Christ as there were on the first coming. And since those prophecies about the first coming of our wonderful Savior at Christmas 2,000 years ago were all fulfilled in absolute detail, that gives us assurance that everything the Lord gives us in his word about his second coming, which would include the rapture, the seven-year tribulation period, and then the return to the earth so that the Lord can get from God the Father his kingdom and set up his thousand-year kingdom and ultimately then move into eternity future. Those prophecies, based upon the fulfillment of the first coming prophecies, will be fulfilled. By the way, if you missed any of the reports from my broadcast partners, please go to prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can listen to them. You can do that for the second time, or maybe if you missed them for the first time. And be sure to tell a friend or a family member about those reports from our broadcast partners. As we stop to think about it, you know, each of our broadcast partners' reports were evidence that that next event is about ready to happen. That would be the rapture of the church. When Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, the trump of God sounds, and we're caught up to meet him in the air. Again, let me say, remember, because of the first coming of Jesus at Christmas, we have tangible proof that the second event, the rapture, will also take place. And that rapture could happen at any moment. You know what? Having said that, nothing left for me to say except Merry Christmas and let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.